everybody. Welcome to our weekly school leadership community call. I'm Tom Miller from Leaders Building Leaders, and with me always is my teammate and partner, Katie Reidenauer. Katie, how you doing? Doing fantastic. Glad to be here today. Awesome. Make sure you guys on your side, if you could, mute us on your side, so then hope anybody's coming in here, we can keep a real good um, connection here. And then Rhonda Dillingham from the North Carolina Association. How are you doing, Rhonda, our strategic partner on these weekly calls? I'm great. Good to see everybody. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's great to hear and see you. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. I'm so excited for uh, today. So here's kind of our, you know, agenda for uh, today, everyone. And so first, you know, uh, first off, make sure you always, you know, tell us who you are and where you're joining us from in the chat box. Make sure you can hear us okay. And then what question would you like answered during our call is always good. Uh, Katie's going to, she's got double duty today. She's manning, she's going to host and man and do all these things because I'm on a little tiny phone right now. So that's a whole different story. I'll share it another time. And uh, so put your question in the chat box. What do you want answered today? We're going to, we've got some great special guests who are joining us from around the country to help you uh, design to the edge. And then uh, Rhonda's going to give us an update on some, some legislative stuff. And then we've got our experts in the field who are going to just share some, share some new info. So make sure you put your questions in there. Um, so let me, let me introduce, uh, most of you may know uh, this young man here with his, with his headphones going on here. Joel, Joel Medley, Dr. Joel Medley. If you don't know Joel, Joel, Joel was the one who gave me a chance, right? Joel was, Joel was the, uh, the human being who said, uh, he sent me an email right as I was working through my doctoral dissertation. He's like, you know, they're just about to lift the cap on charter schools. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be some jobs open here in Raleigh. Would you be willing to come? And I was like, I don't want to come to Raleigh. Why would I come to Raleigh? I live at the beach. It's Raleigh didn't seem fun, but I took the opportunity. I went up and uh, Joel and, and Adati Heath and uh, Pat, those were the really, there was three people, everybody, three running the entire North Carolina Office of Charter Schools in 2012, three. And uh, they had 100 schools, and they just uh, passed the nine fast-track schools, <clears throat> and they were looking for consultants. And I asked Joel that uh, question, why, why Raleigh? And he just went off on all the opportunities and how close you were to the mountains and the beach and how you could travel and do all these things. And if you're ever interviewed by Joel, you're going to be asked a question. At the very end, it's going to be an off-the-wall I'm not going to say what it is, but it's always going to be just a, a right hook. So uh, Joel uh, was a great mentor for me, still is, and a good friend. And I uh, greatly appreciate the opportunities he gave me in the Office of Charter Schools for those uh, three years that we were working together. We, we did a couple of things, right? We probably opened about 70 schools and <laughs> read 500 applications in a very, very short time. So say hi to Dr. Joel Medley if you haven't. And then, so Joel now, he works at K-12, and at K-12 is, um, it has to be. And uh, Gina, you know, I heard, you, you know, you have the data for this, Joel's uh, partner, uh, Gina here, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Academic Officer of K-12. K-12 serves 40 states. Is that over 40 states and there's over 60 virtual schools across the country? Is that, is that right, Gina? We're actually, we've got 74 schools right now. Um, so yes, and um, we're actually 30, 33 states in the District of Columbia and about 120,000 students. Oh my gosh, 100,000. So, so uh, Gina Pignatello and uh, Joel Medley from K-12, they have volunteered. I've asked them to bring their expertise to you 
And someone, because this is what I said on the call yesterday, because the Exceptional Children's uh, Related Services, that person helped out your EC directors yesterday. Katie and I have never run virtual schools. We don't have a clue. And we're not going to pretend like we know what it's like. So we're going to bring you the best people we know to tell you if you have to continue your school remotely next year, what does it look like and feel like academically and operationally? Uh, so all those uh, questions. So uh, Dr. Medley, thank you for giving us your time today. And also, most importantly, uh, Gina Pegutello, who's in Arizona now, and it's 104 degrees. So everybody be nice to her because 104 degrees is really hot. Uh, and I'm not that smart, and I even know that that's hot. So we're going to give you guys the floor. Um, and then, you know, Katie, you man the questions, and we'll, you know, Joel and Gene, if you want to, you know, answer some questions on the fly, or if you want to wait, you know, until uh, the end, you just let us know, and we'll take that. So thank you. I'm going to be quiet now, and you guys go. Great. Well, I, you know, Joel and I really wanted to approach today um, hearing from you, right, um, and, and really guiding today's discussion around the questions that you have. But I'll, you know, I'll open with a few, a few things. Um, you know, I have been a public school educator, a charter school educator. Um, I have worked in online blended and brick and mortar, and I'm a proud parent of one child in the public school and one child in a charter because it fits their needs differently. Um, and I remember when I embarked on online learning 14 years ago, people were like, what are you doing? What is that? When you, we, when I left the public school realm and, um, how do you do that? What does it look like? And, um, we had at the time the luxury of time, right? Um, <laughs> to plan and create. And none of you were afforded that. And, uh, we know that, right? This curveball that came at us and what everybody keeps calling our, our new normal and you know how do you how do you pivot and how do you pivot when you've got a lot of unknown right what will the next couple of months bring what will the fall semester look like what will the whole next school year look like and i know that you all have the challenge in front of you of creating plan a b c d and everything in between right because of the unknown and so how much do you pivot your teams and resources to plan for this or that or that and just be able to scale with whatever happens tomorrow, because that seems how it's changing right now. Um, so what we hope to do today is really open it up for all of you, kind of what we've learned along the way, answer your questions and resources, and really keep a few things at the forefront of our conversation that we've got to tackle. First of all, I think it is equity. Equity, 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 and whatever we all design what you build to look for you know, as you look forward in this unknown how is it built your plans with equity to everyone equity to the students that you serve to their parents who are like all of us i you know i've got kids in the other room who are in online schooling i didn't prepare for this i'm working a full day how do you navigate that so it's equity for your students equity for parents equity for your teachers and making sure they're equipped with this and you all as, as school leaders, how you navigate it. Um, and how do you be able to, to pivot that um, for all of, all of those groups? And thinking about the other thing in this process is not just the academic needs that you need to plan for in this, it's the social, emotional, and mental well-being and health. I know everyone is focused on kids aren't schooling, is that we're expanding what we all call summer slide. How do we overcome that? And 
don't get me wrong, the educator in me knows mastering your math standards and everything else that's in there is critical, but we also have to be very honest that if we don't take care of the whole child and the whole family in this, and we only focus on how we deliver algebra one, um, and we don't focus on the social and emotional well-being during these times and how our families navigate um, with homes becoming home learning environments, no one's going to master algebra one. We've got to take care of, of, of the whole child. So with that, I'm going to, Joel, see what you have to add, but really open the floor up to all of you. Yeah, everything that Gina said is, is right on the money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put this in the chat box. One of the things that I really appreciate about what Gina did with her leadership on, on our side of, of K-12 is when all of this hit, she was, how do we deploy resources? How do we get information out there? So we have a, a Facebook page that there are so many live sessions that are there by teachers, by school leaders that put information out there. How do you, how do, you do these kinds of things? We've got Instagram Live that's out there. We've got shorter videos that are on the YouTube channel. So I'm gonna put all of that information in the chat box. So when this session is over and you've finished answering, you know, asking the questions, we're answering them, that you can go there to get additional resources that are just at your fingertips. So whatever questions you have, don't hesitate to ask and we'll do what we can to try and support you through that. Don't be shy, everybody. Go ahead and pop your questions in the chat or you know, feel free to unmute yourself and ask the question directly. Hey, Joel and uh, Gina, you know, I think one of the questions that I most often see, you know, with the equity piece is how do you measure um, whether the plan's working, right? That's one piece. And then how do you, you know, ensure that you're moving forward with your academic uh, growth at a, you know, at, you know, at a good pace, right? Or uh, because we know that we're not going back to our uh, schools uh, brick and mortar this year, but we don't know whether or not we're going to go on time. So we have to kind of create two uh, paths. And so if you can talk a little bit, of, you know, how do you guys close the gap, I guess, is how I'm at, is that what I'm asking? So I'll jump in and Joel, you know, please um, interrupt me at any time. I, you know, I think there was a couple parts of your questions there, Tom. I think, you know, is how, how are we, how do we ultimately measure set success metrics for whatever we end up um, deploying or pivoting to? Um, first and foremost, the number one metric you need to have is around student engagement. You know, because if you're, if you're leading with, you know, academic assessments, you're going to be kind of too late after the fact. You need to think about in your infrastructure and what you design and your scalable plan for next year, how do you measure student and family engagement? How are you going to keep a pulse on what each student in that classroom is doing and engaging in each and every day um, in whatever you design? You know, whether it's live classes like this, it's asynchronous work that students are doing offline and demonstrating mastery. So in your infrastructure, how will you ensure student engagement? Because what we deal with every day is after 24 hours of no login, 48 hours of no login, seeing login patterns where a student was only engaging for 15 minutes a day, or, or we haven't seen the parent log into the system, again, with whatever you design, Think about how you will keep right at your fingertips and at each of your teacher's fingertips the measurement of student engagement and what, what you design. And how will you intervene as soon as you see any 
slippage or deviation from that engagement. Then you're able to then go in and design how your, your instructional content, how you will assess students at intervals throughout um, you know, your blended or online learning, however it depends. But again, I can't stress enough thinking about how you will keep your arms around student and family engagement for early, early intervention. Joel? Yeah, that, that early intervention is key. And, and Gina took this at, at the global perspective. Let me, let me take this and boil this down, you know, to, to what you need to be thinking about as the school leaders. You know, we all understand checks for understanding. We know that those take place every day in a regular brick and mortar classroom. Well, you may be using technology, but you can still do the same things. Um, you know, exit tickets, you often see those being used, but why don't you take that and why don't you flip that around and do an entry ticket? So you have students that come to you that are then gonna go through a problem or two problems and you'll be able to see, did they master that? Did they not? And then what you have the ability to do with whatever platform that you're delivering the, the instruction in, if it's a Zoom room, you can then set up breakout rooms that you know, hey, I need to see these kids because you know, they, they didn't quite get there or you know, these are some that can be you know, headed to enrichment, so I'm gonna place them there. So it, it's taking what you already know. Please, please don't, don't lose sight of the fact that you know what you need to do as an educator, and it's just that overlay of technology that's gonna come on top of it that will be able to help you meet the needs for those families. Uh, and as a corollary to that, I, Tammy, I saw your question in here, so Gene, if you don't mind, I'm gonna to jump to that question. If you can follow that back up. You know, with, with teacher supervision, well, th there are several things that you've got to do. Number one, you know, you need to you need to sit down with your family or your families. We'll get to that in a minute. You need to sit down with your teachers. And you need to help them understand what the expectations for them are. Your job as a leader, the number one job is to define reality. And in all of the uncertainty and everything that's taking place, you're going to have to pare that down to help them understand what they need to focus on. So if your expectation is three, I don't know, uh, 30 minute lessons a week. You know, with Zoom, you can record. So you can pop in and continue doing your walkthroughs. You just need the schedule of when they're going to be teaching. So you can set that up to where you're able to go in to be able to do those kinds of quick pop-ins. You can still do some of your longer, you know, sessions with those teachers. So you can use technology to do it. But there's one other thing that I really want to make sure that you stop and think about regarding the teacher supervision side. If you've got brand new teachers, leverage your teacher mentors. Um, that is one of the things that is forgotten about during this time period is, you know, I, I've heard so many brand new teachers that have said, you know what, this is a wasted year. This is not a wasted year because there's a tremendous opportunity for the things that are being used and learned now to be applied to next year. You know, if you come back fully to the brick and mortar classroom, but leverage those teacher mentors to continue having those contacts with those young teachers. What were they working on prior to you know, schools being shut down? What are they thinking? What are they learning now? And continue taking them through that process. It's here that it matters. If you get them in the mind, then everything else will, will follow. So that is one of the critical things that you need to do with that teacher supervision piece. I would also add in teacher supervision, you, you need you know, a, a lot of the similar pieces you have, and I'll, I would tell you that all of our, our teacher observation and evaluation frameworks we use with our online teachers are all mapped and crosswalk to Danielson and Marzano, right? There's those same effective teacher practices, but think about how they look virtually. 
And one of the things you're going to introduce more that in teacher supervision that you probably haven't is the asynchronous, what we call the asynchronous work that a teacher is, is engaging in. So in a brick and mortar setting, right, we're, we're, we're laser focused on you walk the halls, you're in the classroom, you're seeing them in action throughout the day. But when you shift to online, the asynchronous activities and engagement that, it, that a teacher partakes in is just as critical. So you need to start thinking about things like, how are you observing a, 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 how a teacher builds community online? What about tone and approach and emails, the number of phone calls and phone contacts that teacher has made with those families and what do those look like? We talk a lot and we've done research with SNHU where we really surface what we called instructional authenticity. How does a teacher become authentic in an online environment to build culture and community and connectedness with his or her students in deploying techniques, um, in leveraging technology that they hadn't before. So it's much more than just observing and supervising a teacher's instructional practices in a live session. There's so much more asynchronous you need to start thinking through um, in your supervision and in, and in your ongoing training and development. There's a ton of questions coming in, Joel. So I think we should scroll through and make sure we're not, well, we're not missing any. You know, I've been keeping a list. So, <laughs> um, so that leads right to the next question that, um, that was offered, which was, okay, so, you know, you're creating community and, you know, because it's hard to do when like we're all in our own little Brady Bunch boxes here. Uh, but then how do you get the policies out there? So what policies did you create to ensure students and families understand the expectations of remote learning because it is going to be different so how do you what policies do you have for that can I sidestep that question for just a second hope hope my friends at invest collegiate will let me do that um, in, before we get to the policy let's step back and talk about the plan okay. you know because I, I say that for this reason you know Gina mentioned at the top you know she's got kids at home she's trying to do her job and kids are there this door over my shoulder back here I've got kids back there doing the same thing. But one of the things that's, that's unique is not only have, am I working at K-12, not only did I run that virtual school, but I'm also a learning coach. I've got two kids in a virtual school. So I see this from both sides. And the critical thing that you as a school need to be thinking about on this, this plan before you get to the policies, how are you gonna train the families? You can't just say, here's a computer, here's technology, go. I mean, what are you going to walk them through to make sure that they understand things like set aside a special space for school? Don't have them with their laptops in their bedrooms. That's a no-no. You know, you also need to, you know, teach them things because for crying out loud, kids are kids. You know, you can ask them, hey, did you do your work? And they're going to go, of course I did my work. Well, then ask them to show you that work because they don't always do what they say. We know that. But those are basic strategies that you've got to be able to train your families on. I mean, we've all seen the horror story. I mean, you know, poor Jennifer in Zoom that, you know, left her camera on and, oh, my goodness, she has now gone viral. You know, you've got to make sure that you teach, you know, those families, those things. If your computer is right here on your desk and that student picks that computer up and leaves, guess what? Um, turn your camera off. I mean, you, you, you need to help them think through those things. You know, because you never know what's going to happen. Case in point, yesterday, and my son would be mortified if he knew I was sharing this. He was in a Class Connect session yesterday. He had his headphones on, and we've told him, you know, you're not going to sit all day with those headphones on. Why 
because he loves YouTube. And he decided he was going to walk downstairs. Well, think about it. He's got his headphones on. He's in a class connect session. He starts walking down the stairs. Can anybody tell me what do you think just happened? My 18 month old left a matchbox car on the third step from the top, catches it, and we hear crash, bang, boom as he falls down the stairs. So you need to set those kinds of boundaries with those families to help them think that through. Because if you train them and then you arm them, then you can get to the policies of what they're looking for. So I, I kind of hope that makes sense why I sidestepped that question. And I would add, you know, and then once, once you do get to the policies, there are some, you know, as, as Joel alluded to, you've got to think about being a very explicit about um, thinking about just being a, a good digital citizen, so to speak. Um, you probably already, if you are at a school where you've got a one-to-one -one device, you've got technology um, policies and guidelines in place, you know, appropriate use policies, look at all of those. Think about then how does that translate virtually? Help educate your students and your families what it means to, let's say you decide to use something like Teams or Google Classrooms. There's discussion boards that are gonna be open and there's chat. So think about those technology policies and what adjustments you need to make to what that then looks like when you're in the home environment, that acceptable use. How do we actually engage in a chat discussion? What's appropriate? This isn't texting with your friends in Snapchat, you're in class. So what does that look like when you're communicating with your teacher, with your classmates? What's appropriate, what's not? Simple things like if you're gonna use a platform like Zoom, please make sure that there's a policy that every student has a background set. Because as soon as you set that background, anything that might be happening in the home environment that now becomes part of your learning environment, you need to account for. So, you know, little brother just got out of the shower and decided to run behind really quick. If there's a Zoom background on, you're maintaining that, that safety um, for sure. But I would also say, as you think about building your policies, this is the ideal time to engage a group of stakeholders parents and teachers, those in your community to help you build those policies because there are things that you're not even thinking of that a parent who's now taken on this new world on um, is going to add to developing those policies and procedures. And the same way you would set those up for your families, think about those for your teachers as well, what that means um, for them in moving into this, this home environment and what that might mean for policies and procedures around what their work day looks like, what their expectations uh, will be as well. So what are some strategies that you all can recommend to these brick and mortar schools for creating norms and expectations for engagement? Joel, you want me to take that one or you want to jump in? You look like you're ready to go. I'm grabbing something. Hold on one second. Okay. Because it's just some, a starting point, you know, so they know, like, how do I even, you know, where do I even begin? What are the categories that I need to consider? I know that's what a lot of, you know, school leaders might be grappling with. Mm -hmm. So there, there are several things that, that you have to think about with, with engagement. Um, you know, if, if you're in a Zoom room and you're asking for someone to, you know, to, to, to respond, you're going to have kids who are going to raise that hand all the time. Well, 
you need to make sure that you're having conversations with your teachers about what true engagement is. Because you're going to have students that really aren't engaged, but they have learned that if I raise my hand in the virtual room, then that means the teacher's going to look for someone else. So you need to make sure that you stress with those teachers. It's that relationship that matters more than anything else. I mean, there are other things that kids do that, you know, they, they've lived in this digital world and they know. So what will they do? You'll see scenes like this. So that you'll see a kid just like that. Why? They have taken their picture and they have set that up. If they're not there, like if I turn my camera off, you see how it goes black. They will set that up where when that happens, you can see that face. So it's like in the movies, you know, the constantly streaming session where they're robbing a bank that it looks like they're not there. So engagement is going to look different. And you've got to come up with some of those things to recommend those pieces to them. You know, the other thing that I, I think you need to make sure that you do, and Gina alluded to this earlier, it's the non-digital pieces that are important. Strategies like if you have families that you know are struggling, those need to be at the top of your contact list. Not just once a month, not just once a week, but man, we probably need to call them twice a week just to check in on them. So, you know, again, it goes back to that relationship for engagement, you know, and the, the biggest piece, you know, we, we often think if you're in a high school block model, you've got that 90 minute session. Well, in, in a virtual session, you're going to set that down into smaller, you know, micro learning chunks, and you've got to keep that in mind with those kids so that they're, you're always looking, you're asking you're going through significant checks for understanding with them. Mm -hmm. And it's old school, but keep, keep a notebook right beside so that you know that you are seeing something from every student. And if you're not, you reach out to them using the private chat feature that you have in Zoom or whatever your platform is. And if you don't hear back and that lesson ends, it's a phone call. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's again what Gina said. It's those non-digital pieces that become critical in this factor. So it sounds like really good strategies that you do in the classroom anyway. So instead of seeing if a kid's falling asleep, you know, you look for that frozen face and then, okay, then what do we do? So creating norms for all your teachers, this is what we do. That's kind of what I hear you saying, Joel. And I would have Katie then also thinking about not, not trying to transfer exactly what you did in a brick and mortar setting virtually, and thinking about that impact on engagement. So there's 64 of us here in the room right now. If you approach it where you're just gonna hold algebra one class at 9 a.m. and you're gonna have all the kids log in like this and the teacher's going to take the stage on the stage approach of lecture through a PowerPoint, no one's gonna have their cameras on, no one is gonna be listening, the other browser's gonna be up with YouTube or whatever else or they're on their phone, so the teachers have to think about any way in which they're delivering instruction, how do they do that in an engaging way? And taking a lecture that you maybe did in a brick and mortar setting is not going to translate. And I guarantee you that after the first five minutes pass in the class, the cameras go off, the chat gets less, and fewer and fewer students are listening and engaging. So how do you create active learning? How do you create lessons, activities that require everyone to engage? And then think about the other technology that you can have at your fingertips to keep students engaged. Don't fully rely solely on email. 
you know, many of you probably use Skype or Link, right? And you're logged in right now and my other monitor folks that I work with see I'm online and they're chatting with me. Can your teacher set that up? So there's an immediate outreach for students. They can see which students are online. How can they engage and connect? Are you gonna set up something like a discussion board? So as that child's working, he's got somebody to reach out to. All of those things that allow immediate engagement or are structured in a way to make sure the learner has to actively participate will allow you to get in front of that trend to disengage really easy. Don't allow them to hide online. And if you think about everything and structuring it so they're not able to quote hide out um, and you, you plan that in, it will have a big impact on, on getting in front of that disengagement. And you know, the last thing that I will say is think about some of the digital tools you can use. I mean, Kahoot, wonderful game that you can use that, that will engage kids in that class. But another thing, you know, it, this kind of goes back to something that was asked earlier about, you know, check for understandings. You know, Flipgrid is phenomenal, where you get them to do a response. You know, and, and it's not just they got the answer right, but you can get them to actually describe how they solved this math problem. So you can see, well, if they missed it, they were this close, or they were not even in the ballpark. And if you're seeing that you're doing this and students, certain ones are not coming back, they're not responding, then that's phone call. You know, and again, we're, we're school administrators that are in here. You know, even when I was at the virtual school, we did home visits. That would be a little interesting during COVID-19 where you may be standing outside the house ringing the doorbell. But if you show up at that doorstep and, and it's like, hey, wh where's the kid? They will know that you care. So it, it's, it's those things. So it does sound like a lot of uh, kind of old school practices that are done during in this digital platform is what I'm hearing. And so, you know, so I, I hear phone calls, you know, reaching out to those parents. Uh, but there is a question about, oh, how do you hold students accountable? So I hear like, you know, do checks during the class you know, use, you know, the flip grid. And I'm thinking you'd use polling and put using breakout rooms, you know, if you're using the Zoom platform. What are some other, you know, ways and even policies that you have in place for, you know, keeping students accountable for their assignments? Well, this isn't necessarily a policy. I was getting ready to type this in the chat, but if you've got your own cafeteria and you've got cafeteria workers that aren't working right now, or you ran transportation, you've got bus drivers that aren't, train them to make phone calls to families. Leverage the entire group of people that you have. Uh, everyone can help in that. And that helps to, to shrink the school uh, to where, you know, we all know what the research says. If there's one relationship with one person in that building, it makes all the difference for that kid. So that kind of helps shrinks that uh, a little bit further. So I'll not put that in the chat. Gina, any thoughts on policy for, you know, holding students accountable? Well, you know, and I'd like to kind of break this into, you know, this accountability too with what I am seeing in some of the questions in the chats around, you know, academic integrity, right? Academic integrity is, mm -hmm. it's top of mind, right? How do we ensure that students are engaging and it really is their authentic work um, that they're, that they're completing? And so what I would encourage you there, and, and, and Joel alluded to it quite a bit, is think about not just the actual, what a student does each day, what happens in the class as being active learning, but how do you structure your assessments to demonstrate that as well? It's really easy to shift online 
and want to create something that is a multiple choice auto score, right? And, and I get it. It's, it's the easiest thing that we could quickly deliver, right? I could go into one of my survey tools right now and create a quick multiple choice assessment that I could deploy to students. Um, while that is easier, it's not necessarily the right thing to do. And so think about now with your forward planning that you've got in some of your runway, how will students demonstrate learning outside of multiple choice? You know, get to getting authentic student work and how you will assess. As Joel said, you're in sessions like this, I should be holding up what I'm working on and you can see that I'm, I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. um, this should be written response, short answer. Think about project-based learning. How can students demonstrate their mastery through projects? And there is nothing better to get kids engaged than a project-based learning. But they come into a session like this and they're delivering and demonstrating what, what they're doing. So think about that. But then if you really want to get into some of the technology tools, there are plenty that are out there that will help you with things like proctoring. So as you start to think about some of your higher stakes assessments, things that are more summative, maybe you've got to do a unit assessment or a semester assessment. Um, think about there are proctoring tools out there that will, and, and for those of you that are running AP exams next week, you know my daughter has it, the AP or college board, they have, they're going to proctor these exams virtually next week. There's things like Proctor U, Proctor Free. We utilize them. They monitor eye movement. They monitor if there's a second voice in the room and someone whispering. They will pick up, Katie, you've got your glasses on. It would catch the reflection in your glasses if you were looking at your phone. We've picked that up. Wow. We can see if a student gets up during an assessment and moves out of the window frame. So if you have to go to a more expansive plan, there's technology out there on the market. And, and the beautiful thing I'll tell you, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little weedy here though, is that these products out there will typically structure your pricing on a just purchase when you need it. So that's something to keep in mind. You don't know yet whether you're going to need it. So engage something in, and again, there's many out there. We've used ProctorU and ProctorFree. Engage them, have that account set up. And if you need to deploy it, then it's there and it's ready to go. But there's technology there. There's also things like lockdown browser um, tools that you can use where you can lock down um, a student's browser when they're going through a, an assessment. Um, look to our higher ed counterparts that really do, you know, if any of you have taken a college course, you know there's different proctoring that you've done in ways that they maintain academic integrity. There's also like, don't underestimate as a teacher, the beautiful thing about online is your technique, you're usually getting things that are submitted typed to you, not handwritten. And so it takes about three seconds to do a copy paste in Google and you will find immediately if someone's plagiarized something or pulled content from other. So think about all of those tools that you could put into your planning and into your teacher's toolkit. Yeah, okay, now that's, those are some great tips. I didn't know about that, boy, I mean, you know, what, reading the reflection of my glasses, I never thought about that. Um, think so, about that now when you're in a Zoom meeting and someone's gonna like, oh, Katie's multitasking, I can see her on the phone. <laughs> That's right. What else is she doing? Oh, her dog's reflecting in her glasses. Um, okay. Oh, Rhonda, thank you for the toolkit uh, to celebrate National Charter School Week that's coming up. 
so now can we switch a little bit and talk about instructional design? There was a question, how have you designed your instructional program? In K-3, have you designed lessons for kids that don't have parent support? So it's really two questions. How do you design it? And then how do you do it so the kids can do it on their own if their parents aren't uh, you know, as supportive as, as they could be perhaps? So let's start with, with the parent support. Um, we know that, that is, that's an issue that is being faced across the world, not just the country, not just our state, it's across the world right now. And I would say that the critical cog at that, I hate to default to this, but it's the truth. It's that relationship between that teacher and that family, as well as between you and them. You know, it, the conversations that you have to have, I mean, you know, parents may say, well, you know, there, there are no new, more new grades in North Carolina, so why does this really matter? And then you need to take them through that long-term conversation that, that they need to understand what this is going to look like in the long run. You know, I have a kindergarten student right now. Um, he's at Clover Garden, saw someone here from Clover Garden in there. There's a session that occurs with them once a week, uh, but there's work, you know, that, that is swapped out every week where we need to go pick it up. I will be driving up Monday morning to get mine for my kindergarten kid up. Um, you know, we are a unique situation because he has two parents that are educators. So we, we are kind of on him like you wouldn't believe. But again, it goes back to, you may have families that are, are disengaged, but what is it? I mean, really you see that in two reasons. Is it motivation or is it ability? Mm -hmm. If it's a lack of ability, then your aspect of spending time with those families and training them on what they can do, how they can bring instruction alive within the home is something that, that you really need to consider. If it's motivation, then you're going to have to step back and try and figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. uh, K3 is K3 is a tough one because they are younger. So in, in the virtual schools, you're not going to see them spending as much screen time as you would for others. But one thing that I would say, uh, and Gina, I, you're going to have to remind me this because I don't remember when this is, um, but Stride is something that has been offered by K12 is for districts and families. You want to talk about that? And I'm going to say this because my, my kiddo, uh, has has some reading issues, but he has been using Stride since that has become available, and his reading is starting to spike through the roof. Mm -hmm. So, Gina, I'll, I'll turn that over to you for Stride. Yeah, we've got um, it, Stride is a game based um, program. So, you know, anytime you can have something game based, you're going to start to engage those learners. Um, my kids have also been using it since they have uh, transitioned to this the schooling environment. And we have made it free. It is still um, free and available to uh, families and, and districts to, to utilize. But I think what it highlights in the product of something like Stride is it is designed to adapt. So when you're thinking about whatever product you might leverage, it adapts to the learner and what the learner needs and surfaces that up based on, on the learner's instructional level and ability. And it allows it for the student to drive it independently. So when you think about that K2, K3 realm, you know, as, as Joel said, we run full-time virtual academies. So it is designed, our curriculum is designed with, with a lift on the parent. But we, you guys are need, gonna need to be um, the reality of, your parents haven't necessarily signed up for that and they've got full-time jobs and they're, they've got other kids in the home. So think about those programs out there that can engage that younger learner, can allow it to adapt to the student's um, ability level uh, and allow them to do some self-directed learning. I mean, we all have many, you have kids and you think about, um, 
they pick up the iPad at age two, right? So kind of wondering if they've just grown up. Oh, I think we have somebody who's not on mute. I think we're good now. Okay. Um, so, so, you know, think about when you pick the technology there that can help engage the learner, adapt to that young learner, that primary learner, doesn't impede because they're early readers or non-readers still, right? It's not contingent on that, but would allow them to work more independently and take some of that lift off of the parent. So I would think very hard about whatever program, curriculum, supplemental program you might have ready in your back pocket that they could do it um, independently. And the one thing that I will add about K-3, make sure that you know, as you're talking to your teachers, make sure that as you're training the families, breaks are built in throughout the day. They've got to be able to get up and move. They've got to get outside like it is here in the beautiful weather, you know, mid 60s here, Gina, not 104 like it is for you, but they've got to move. Um, you know, and another thing that you can do is, is teach, teach those parents, you know, they know those kids better than I do. When do they learn best? You know, our, our little one, you've got to get him right at the beginning. If, if, if we try and take that way into the afternoon, we're going to lose him. So you structure the day that way. It's using that knowledge to be able to work with the kid on that piece. Okay, so then just a few more questions and then I, I'd love to open it up to Q&A. Um, so we had a question about how much online instruction is too much and can you tell us what a typical school day looks like as in, you know, how many hours per grade? Yeah, well, I, Joel does this every day as, as a parent. So Joel, do you want to take that one? Absolutely. So this, you're going to love my answer, Tom. I'm waiting to see your reaction. It depends. <laughs> um, because let's, let's talk about my middle school kid. If he is highly motivated, he will get his work done and will typically finish between 2.30 and 3. So he will start about 8. So you're looking at six to six and a half hours is what he is doing with his online work, his live sessions, um, and his offline work that he has to do. Like right now, I can hear him through the wall. Uh, my wife is like pulling teeth on him. He doesn't want to do his storyboard for this big essay that he's got to do. He's been putting it off and now here we are. My little girl, who's in elementary, she's in fourth grade. Um, she is the most motivated of the three that we have. I mean, typically you're going to spend about six hours a day, but she has worked ahead. So she's finished her math uh, for the year and she's going back and she's reworking on some things that we know that have been missed. So she is working you know, to, to still do those six hours a day. Our little one in kindergarten, um, he, he's going to be probably about five hours a day. Um, but it is, it's one of those things that, you know, he, he being at, at Clover Garden, which is not the virtual school, is spending more time with, you know, with the masters that come home from those teachers. The reason I say it depends is because if you have a truly highly motivated kid, they can really dig into some things. There are some days that, that everything just goes beautifully and they're all done about the same time. There are others like last night um, that, you know, my oldest ran into a really tough series of math issues that he didn't finish until about 5.30 or 6 that night. There were some breaks built in, so it was a longer day. So I, I know it sounds like a, a non-committal answer, but truly it does depend. But we still try to make sure that there's at least six hours of instruction in education that they get every single day. And I would encourage you as you think about your program design, and I, I think this relates to one of the questions I saw in the chat of 
you know, kids that are still two weeks behind and you guys are trying to get work and now the teachers moved on with some kids and some kids are back here. I will tell you that's a reality that we, we face every day in, in all, of, all of our schools. But as you think about your plan, think about chunks of learning, for lack of a better word. Think about how you might structure what you do that week rather than that day. And by doing that, you will help address what you heard me say at the start of the call was the equity issue. So think about what you might launch at Sunday night at midnight, and you've got until the following Sunday at midnight to turn it in. What you're doing there then is you're helping to meet the needs of your learner, different learners who might need more time or less time. You're also meeting the need of the working parent or parent that we've only got one computer and there's five kids at home. And so we're going to have to stagger what our day looks like. But you also are putting in, though, those parameters that I saw you highlight in the chat. And some of you asked, like, well, when is stuff due? We, we can't just open up the semester and this child's going to take the next six weeks to do it. And this child did it in six hours. So it still gives you some guardrails as to when things are due. And you can have the class move on or go back and remediate. But think about it, too, with a little bit of flexibility built in with those guardrails to, to meet the needs of the learner. And again, I can't stress enough, when you think about hours in the day, the worst approach would be to schedule a 9 a.m. class, a 10 a.m. class, an 11 a.m. And kids just sitting in Zoom, just listening over and over. Learning is not going to happen. They're going to disengage. And now you're going to hear from a parent, my child just sat in front of the computer for six straight hours. Don't create learning environments that do that. Move them online and offline and mix up the way in which they're engaging in learning. Yeah, oh, perfect. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Joel answered a question that um, Tammy had put in the chat that at her school, they're aiming for about four hours. And he said, well, yeah, our kids are used to virtual learning. So when he says six and you're like, ah, are we not doing enough? You know, his, those students signed up for that. They're used to that. Um, you know, so give yourself a little grace. I, that was from the call yesterday. Um, but I also had one question sneak in at the end, so I promised to include it. And so how do you include your EC teacher in class support? Uh, Go ahead, Joel. Well, again, Tom, here we go. Depends. Um, you know, if you if you are going to set up a true inclusion model, then you could have co-teaching that is taking place side by side. We have schools to do that. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what Tara said yesterday, but the critical thing to this is, you know, you know what those IEPs say. Those services are there. Do everything that you can to provide those services. If they need to do a pullout, there are times that are set aside where that special ed teacher is reaching out to that child and they're offering those services in those one-on-one -on -one pieces. You know, when, when I was at NCVA, the special ed teachers were at the table planning with the content teachers. The special ed side was at the tables. We're doing the master schedule to include them. You know, we've got to make sure that we don't miss the fact that, you know, every special ed child is what? They're a gen ed child first. And we have to keep that at, at the forefront of everything that we do. So bringing them in with co-teaching is one way. Others, if you've just got to follow through with the pullout. But they are all part of the school and all part of that planning process. And it's the intentional planning, as Joel said. It's, it's being intentional around maybe you've got second language learners. Maybe you've got your gifted and talented. Um, be intentional on how you meet the diverse needs of your students. And I'm going to keep coming back to 
don't set up a class at 9 a.m. where all 60 come in like this and you're teaching to the middle. Don't let your teams divert back to what we have all spent decades to try to overcome with the old desks and rows facing forward. We teach to the middle, everybody. So, you know, don't, don't slip back to that. Think about how you have that inclusive environment. You're intentionally planning together to meet the diverse needs. And that could be co-teaching, that could be some pullout, and, it, and a blend of everything in between. Yeah. Yeah, super helpful. Well, Gina and Joel, I really appreciate it. Uh, Tom, we were going to, to, to pivot to Rhonda at this point, I believe, if I have that correct. Yeah, and, and so I would love to say, you know, thank you, uh, Gina, and, you know, Joel, I think you said, you know, if you had a couple of minutes to hang in there, and uh, you can tell everybody, Joel's a John Maxwell team member, so you could just see, can you hear the John Maxwell coming out of him when he was talking about uh, leadership? Uh, so it's so great to have you part of that team, uh, Joel, as well, and, you know, uh, Gina, I mean, I was taking notes like crazy. You, you said a lot of really important things here that, um, you know, whether we open up on time or not, something like this may happen again. So I want everybody to continue to think on how do I always be prepared, right? Because if you're not preparing on the front end, you will be repairing on the back end. And we've done enough repairing this year. So we just got to get ahead of this no matter what. Be planned. And remember, your charter schools, you're built for this. So be, think outside the box. And, and, and we can start to maybe create some really blended learning incredible blended learning opportunities uh, for some kids because I guarantee, you know, I was going to ask this, uh, you know, some of the teachers I've heard are actually thriving in this environment more than they do in a brick and mortar situation. So it's interesting to see of your teachers who, you know, who are doing better and, you know, some of your students too. So thank you both uh, for your time. Thank you. So, yeah. So Rhonda, so yeah, absolutely, Gina. It was it was a pleasure to meet you uh, virtually. Hopefully I won't come to Arizona, I don't think. Not if it's 104, but it's nice out there, though. It is beautiful. Uh, hey, Rhonda, why don't you why don't you give us an update, and then we'll go around the horn with our experts, uh, Katie. Sounds good. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, happy Teacher Appreciation Week. I hope you've gotten my emails this week with the interviews that I've done with a number of rock star teachers across the state. Um, and I have really, really enjoyed doing that. I've also had some school leaders include some paragraphs with pictures of their rock star teachers. Uh, and I'm just always encouraged by talking with these people because they exemplify what is the best of the profession. So Senate Bill 704 was signed into law on Monday. And one thing we have to keep in consideration is that this was written by people who do this kind of work every day. It wasn't written for lay people like you and me to, uh, <laughs> to understand. And so if you have had some confusion with trying to parse it out, don't worry about it. A lot of people have. Uh, I'm actually working on an FAQ that I will uh, send out to kind of um, distill this down into the most important parts that I think will apply to charter schools. And um, my goal is that it will be helpful to you and take out some of the confusion. Tom always likes to start with the good news. 
So I will start with the good news. The good news is there will be no EOCs or EOGs at the end of this school year. I'm sure you all knew that already, but uh, there will also be no school performance grades or school report cards. Um, and for some people, that's good news. <laughs> and then another piece of good news is we have, as charter schools, retained some level of flexibility in how we approach the calendar for next year. Um, so the calendar issue says this essentially, your school needs to have what it's always had, 185 days or 1,025 hours of instruction. The change in that SB 704 adds is that in addition to what you've already created, you need to add five instructional days. And those five instructional days have to be full days. They cannot be an accumulation of hours. So I'll give you two examples that I think will make sense. One, my piece, it's not really an example, it's more of a piece of advice. If you're, you've probably already adopted a calendar for next year that has 185 days or 1,025 hours in it. All you have to do is add five days. That's a simple way to put it. Uh, and the other thing I would say is let's, you know, for, for the folks who do hours, uh, it can be a little bit confusing. So let's say that in your calendar for next year, you have built in 1,025 hours over 175 days. You would need to add on five remote instructional days. That's what you, and then of course, you would need to um, have your calendar approved by your board because we always need to do that. Uh, can they, the remote instruction days be used as work days? Yes, they can. And there has been some confusion over the August 17th start date and June 11th, 2021 end date. That does not apply to charter schools. So in the law, if you're somebody like me, <laughs> and you're really, really, really paying really close attention, the way charter schools are referred to in the law is public school units, and district schools are referred to as local school administrative units. My daughter asked me earlier today, why can't they just say charter schools and <laughs> district schools? Well, it, it would be too simple, I guess, but, um, you know, they're, is a lot still going on in trying to understand the calendar for next year. And in drafting my FAQs, I can tell you that I have consulted with the Office of Charter Schools, legislators, and lawyers. They don't all agree. So, what is that's why I said at the very beginning what I would do if I were you is take the calendar you have now assuming it has 185 days or 1025 hours and add on five remote instructional days full days 
So Rhonda, they have to be designated as remote learning days, those five extra days, that's correct? Yes. Okay. I hope that helps. Immensely, <laughs> immensely. So we have a couple questions here. We have may the five remote instructional days for students be a part of the 1025 hours. Uh, my understanding is, is it's 1025 plus five remote learning days. Is that right, Rhonda? Right. Okay. Um, and, and then they, we they and I see that somebody asked if they have to be consecutive. Uh, there's nowhere in the law that says that. And can you start before August 17th? Yes. Okay. Okay. I think we've captured all the questions there. Thank you, Rhonda, for making sense of the nonsensical to a lot of us. Um, that's really, really helpful. Um, always great to have you with us, of course. So we do have some other experts on the line, and I'll just go in alphabetical order and start with Acadia. So uh, um, I saw Amanda from Acadia was on here. Uh, Amanda, do you have any updates that you want to share with the group today? Hi, Katie. Hi, Amanda. Mm -hmm. Yes. No real updates, just keeping abreast of all the changes and all the information that's coming, um, especially regarding the PPP loans, uh, because a lot of schools that applied for it, those who've gotten approved, they're, that's some starting to come in now. So we're working on making sure those expenses are um, accounted for accurately. And just an overall reminder that, you know, we are nearing the end of the fiscal year. So amidst everything else and all, all the other stuff that we have to deal with, just um, bear that in mind as well when you're looking at spending as far as uh, accrued expenses and so forth. And um, just keeping your end of year dates in mind too. Okay, great. Well, great reminders. Um, I know it's easy to get lost in the weeds when you have new weeds to take care of. Uh, <laughs> So thank you so much, Amanda from Acadia. I appreciate that. So we'll go on to insurance people. We have Hadley with us from the insurance people. Hadley, what new things do you have for us today? Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me today. Um, I've got, let's see, this week we're working with our clients to get bus um, auto premium credits back for anyone that isn't using their buses. Um, we've sent forms to all of our schools um, and just wanted to send a reminder to all the schools um, if your buses aren't in use to check with your insurance companies and see if you can get a, a credit on that. Okay, that's a great tip. It, you know, money coming in and is always a good thing. That is for sure. Uh, anything else for us, Hadley? I think that's about it today. Yeah, thank you. Okay, great. Thanks for being with us as usual. We really appreciate it. So then we also have Steve Joyner's group with us. We have Olivia. Olivia, what would you like to share with the group today? Hey, yeah, we don't have any new updates other than just make sure that you go ahead and start planning technology purchases for the next school year. Um, we now have chip dates that are out pushed to like end of July right now. So we're really moving into starting with school before you're going to get devices at this point. Um, and then I put a comment in the chat earlier, so I just wanted to reiterate, you know, um, from what Joel and Gina were talking about with setting up Zoom backgrounds and that kind of thing. Be careful with when you're setting up accounts for students because there are age requirements. We have seen schools get lifetime bans because they ignored those age requirements. Mm -hmm. So be careful that you're reading the terms and um, 
using those things appropriately um, because once you get that lifetime ban, your school cannot use it again. You know, um, you do have to change your entire domain of what the school website and your emails are just to get around that. So just okay. be careful. <laughs> okay, well, that's a really helpful tip. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Olivia. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. No. <laughs> likely story so i think that's you know that's yeah. everybody uh we did have a question in the chat that i didn't get to and i'd love to put it out to everybody um is you know so our parents didn't sign up for virtual school they signed up for brick and mortar and yet here they are they are in a virtual platform so um tammy asked how how are folks handling parents who are simply opting their children out of learning right now you know they might say it's too hard we can't do it my child can only do one assignment per day you know so if you have a creative idea on how you're responding to that and i'm sure i know joel would say build that relationship right and i think that is a great strategy um and so what's that look like for everybody you know you put in the chat or if you have if you want to jump on the the line real quick we'd love to hear from you yeah you know what Katie and I think you know Joel's Joel's going to answer our eating by walking around question and I think that's part of it right I mean walking around virtually I'm assuming Joel means you're you're walking around everywhere virtually now and and so you know part of that is is that whole engagement and having conversations with parents about you know what is possible so as folks maybe put some answers in the chat Joel you want to handle that leading by walking around question Absolutely, and, and I want to back it up just a little bit. So for teachers to be able to pour and invest time into those students, they have to be whole. They have to have someone that's pouring into them. That's you. And if you're going to be pouring and investing yourself and others, you've got to take care of yourself first. So I've emailed something to Tom that he'll be able to share with you that'll give you some ideas of some of the things that we've talked about. It's a presentation that I did for another group. But let me talk about leading by walking around. If you've got a teacher schedule, pop in that class. I mean, it would be not only good for that teacher to know, hey, he's coming in or she's coming in to just see what's going on in my class, but think of those kids being able to physically see you. One of the things that I loved when, when I was the head of school at NCVA would pop into a class and you would see, hey, y'all, the principal just got here, we need to behave. I mean, you know, those things kind of, you chuckle at it, but it, it's picked up and it's seen. But if you've got a Facebook page, y'all, use Facebook Live. You know, it's not just put announcements up there, but get that phone, get the admin account, start a live and just do things so that people aren't just reading your emails or seeing an announcement, they're seeing you. Another tool that you can use that I use all the time was uh, go to vokey.com. Uh, you get to pick an avatar and you can record your voice and send that message out. So when they click it, the avatar is talking and they're hearing you, or you could do a Scottish voice or some other kind of accent. Interestingly enough, uh, two weeks ago, I got a text from uh, a teacher. You know, I, I'm no longer at the school, but she reached out and said, I just want to let you know uh, that two of my students told me today that they missed your medley minutes. I mean, it's just something that becomes part of, of the culture. You know, it's, it's building culture. But pick up this phone, call your teachers check on them send them a text if you you know if, if you know they love you know star wars like monday may the fourth be with you folks i was blowing that up with people and it's just you, you you can lead by walking around even though you're not physically there um you know recording youtube videos 
Uh, you know, you, you may be sitting outside and some thought hits you. Record a personal message to your teachers and send it out. They love that stuff. Don't, don't stop just because you're not, you're no longer seeing them every single day. But all of that leading by walking around is just that checking in. Hey, I was thinking about you. You know, I've got, I've got a stack of cards and you can see they're getting small, but write a hand, write a note to someone, drop it in the mail, all of those things. And you don't have to do, you know, a thousand in a day. One of the things that I would do every year uh, is right before the, the holiday break in December is I would spend some time. I would text seven teachers every day you know, that last week or the last two weeks so that I would get to everybody before the break happened. You know, I involve your family. Um, my kids, my wife sat at the piano and, and played a Christmas song and me and my kids sang it to the faculty and it goes out. Do those kinds of things. The last thing that I will say to this is this. Um, think of a way to unify your whole school community. You know, often, um, you know, I, I'm again, I'm going to pick on Clover Garden because I've got a kid there. You know, there are local, there are local businesses that will say, hey, you know, this is Clover Garden night. Uh, so if you come in and you eat, we'll give, I don't know, 5% of whatever the school. Think about that as a school community. And instead of, you know, obviously we can't eat there yet, but find a day and say, hey, everybody from, you know, from kindergarten through fifth grade, go and visit this business that's been a good partner to us to try and help those local businesses. That unifies and that gives them a chance to serve. Maybe cards for kids, you know, that are in hospitals, just something. Get them to write letters or whatnot to doctor's offices. You know, something to unify them uh, because that is building culture and that's leading by walking around and by bringing everybody together. So I'll be done with that. So thanks again, y'all, yeah. for the opportunity. Now that was great. And Joel, Joel mentioned culture and I was just, you know, laughing because yeah, we have a, a training today at 3.30 on culture. And if you don't think that your virtual school has a culture, everything has a culture because culture is the sum of the behaviors by all the people represented in it, right? So Joel just, you know, gave you one of the key ways to change a climate is to create a common enemy. It's to, it's to build ritual and ceremonies and celebrations and to build those relationships and show the actions that you want to have. So, uh, what a gift we had uh, today from Joel and 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 his and his team to be able uh, to come with us. And and uh, we told you that we want to bring you the best. And you know, that's when you're serving. I think I think uh, Gina said 120,000 students. I, that's right. I think they know what they're doing, right? You know, whether it's great or not, I don't. You know, it does. 120,000 students. That's a lot of ABM, everybody. That you have to take attendance for. I did ask Rhonda, I wanted Rhonda to, um, to just hit on real quick uh, two things from the 704. One was the, uh, the required report uh, that is due. And if you remember, everybody, back in early March when we had the first, you know, Katie and I sent you that nine-point plan uh, for, um, for uh, uh, nine-point prioritized plan, the last part was to start creating your plan for next year and start writing it. Those uh, questions almost align. So hopefully some of you took advantage and got started. So Rhonda, what is, have you heard anything about this, you know, remote plan report? And then I think there was one more thing you wanted to add in there. Yes, uh, I did leave that out, but the, uh, there is something required in Senate Bill 704 that is new and it is the remote instructional plan. It's mm -hmm. a document, I'm sorry, what? 
No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, um, it's a document that details how your school will Im implement remote instruction during the 2021 school year if necessary. It is due to um, the State Board of Education by July 20th. And the purpose is to provide a framework for delivering quality remote instruction to students. <clears throat> and that is spelled out in the law as well. Your plan must consist or address 13 parts. And I'm not gonna go into all 13 because that will be in my FAQs. But um, it's, you know, if you've been keeping up with everything that you've done throughout the time that school's been closed, how you served your EC students, how you've taken attendance, um, your interaction with your teachers, just these are all the same things that you do if you were face-to-face -face in a school building. You're just going to delineate that in a written document. Are there guidelines on how long it needs to be and how detailed it needs to be? No, there aren't. There's nothing in the law that says that your plan will be evaluated either. But that doesn't mean that the State Board of Education couldn't uh, take up this law, this part of the law, and then put their own spin on it. So um, just keep that in mind. Uh, I would do a good job, you know, but you, you, know, you should do a good job regardless all the time. Uh, the State Board of Education will take that information and give it in the form of a report to uh, a joint legislative education oversight committee in September. Rhonda, I had a question from a school leader who wanted to know for a health and safety plan. So like if we go back in the fall, are there any guidance, is there any guidance on how many students should be allowed in a classroom? You know, is there, are there anything, any information you can share along those lines about creating a health and safety plan? No, <laughs> I mean, the simple answer is no. Uh, I don't see that that's addressed at all if we're talking about Senate Bill 704. Um, you know, it's hard to capture every single thing in a law. So, um, but, we do have a task force that has been created by the association made up of a variety of uh, school leaders from across the state. And that is one of the issues that the uh, subcommittees are addressing. And we will release that information to every charter school leader in the state uh, when it's completed. Okay, now that, that sounds... That sounds really helpful. I mean, we're all learning as we go, right? So it's, I'm so glad that we have all of you on this call to help us all fly this remote learning plane and hopefully we'll get to a safe landing by the end of the school year and, and into the next school year as well. Uh, well, thank you everybody for joining me. If you had any last minute questions, you know, I'd love to keep this open, but, um, but and I don't see any coming in. But uh, so if you want to unmute yourself and say goodbye to everybody and thank you for joining us. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you next week, same time, same station, one o'clock next Thursday. Thank you, Rhonda, and all of our partners. And Katie, Joel this and is Dan. Ted. I had a question. Okay, go ahead, Ted. So, so uh, Rhonda, I had a question about those remote learning days. Um, so we are thinking about doing them, doing a remote learning camp, regardless of what the state 
gives us funds to do uh, before school actually starts, and then also building in an, an additional five days um, throughout the school year on our teacher work days that our instructional assistants would run the uh, remote learning days. So I have two questions on that. The first one is, if we start the remote learning days before our actual first day of school in that remote learning camp, and we're including those in our calendar, are we going to be penalized in ADM if we only have 100 kids show up and we're, you know, we're expecting 400 kids? And the second question is, what are the attendance requirements for students during those uh, remote learning days? Um, are they optional? Uh, do they get they get sent a letter? Does this, does this, is this con are they considered truant if they if those are part of their absences? Just uh, thinking through those questions. I'm going to mute myself and thank you for all that you all are doing to interpret all this stuff. Okay, so as far as the uh, ADM goes, I can tell you that that is top of mind for a lot of charter school leaders right now because. Uh, regardless of whether you do that in a camp or um, you do it at the beginning of the year or whatever, there are, you're going to deal with situations more than likely where there will be parents who just don't feel like their uh, child is safe going back into a building. And we are bringing that to the attention of the legislature because we need to have assurances that charter schools will be protected in how the ADM is calculated. So that is an issue that the association is dealing with as a legislative agenda issue. The uh, second part, how attendance is taken, and I hate to tell you this, but it is not addressed in the law as far as I can tell. Um, that document is hundreds of pages long, but I will go back and make sure. However, my answer is I don't think that that is addressed. Well, actually, it's not bad that it's not addressed. That leaves it open to having a solid plan about how you would address it. So, I like that. <laughs> Good. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, thanks for that question, Ted. You're, we can always rely on Ted Duncan for some great questions. Uh, so lots of food for thought for today. Uh, you know, Tom and I are here to help you. We do have a call today at 3.30. We'd love for you to join. And, um, you know, using this, same, using this same link. So feel free to join us. Uh, otherwise, if you want to unmute yourself and say goodbye, we wish you a happy Thursday. Thank you so much. Uh, always. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.